last week while you were off presumably cavorting, I beat a traffic fine in court with no lawyer and I was guilty as sin. It took less than three minutes in front of the magistrate and I walked out with no conviction, no fine, no points. I'm going to lay out exactly how I did that because it really might help you at some point in the future. It's the story I've been dreading and in a sense also waiting 33 years to do. I'm Tony Logan from AutoExpert.com.au and I get new cars freaking cheap, but Australia only. Website. Card. Now, about six months ago, on the 1st of December 2022, I had epic brain fade and committed a minor traffic offence which was caught on camera, so the evidence against me was overwhelming. I decided to take it to court, however, and that took six months, and like I just said, three minutes in front of the magistrate later, case dismissed, no fine, no points, no black mark on my driving record. In this report, I'm going to lay out exactly what legislation I used, how I did it, should you do it, and was it worth it? This video is brought to you by Manscaped.com, helping us all swing down out of the trees and not smell like apes any longer. Because it's the 21st century now. If you're still using a nasty washcloth to, uh, let's call it uh, notionally, clean yourself, you deserve better than that. Would it not therefore be impossibly excellent if someone were to design an integrated, super-powered scrubbing solution for every shower in your future? They could call it, I don't know, the Manscaped Buff Bundle. That could work. You could start with the new Manscaped Body Buffer, an item of innovative handheld exfoliating genius with dead skin, bacteria and ingrown hairs in its sights. If you're still up in the trees, as it were, rubbing yourself with a bar of soap or something, there is a better way now. You don't need to keep giving bacteria and body odour this kind of free kick. The Body Buffer is an antibacterial silicon scrubber that also conserves body wash so you won't be tipping your money down the drain any longer either. And those soft black bristles really are a superpower. The Manscaped Buff Bundle comes with the Body Buffer plus two bottles of ultra premium body wash. It's infused with aloe vera and sea salt and it smells good, as will you when next you emerge from the shower to take on the world. If I were your fortune teller, I'd be seeing your scungy old washcloth. It's in the bin. I'm getting a sense of a powerful hygiene upgrade in the near future. I'm seeing those near and dear to you no longer striving to remain uh, upwind. Go to manscaped.com slash autoexpert now and get 20% off, plus free shipping when you use the promo code AEJC at checkout. That's 20% off, plus free shipping with promo code AEJC at manscaped.com slash autoexpert. Do it now, dude. 
you know you need this. Thanks to Manscaped for sponsoring this report. And remember, buff is better. Up front, this is not one of those utterly bullshit YouTube life hacks. Like, if you lead the cops on a merry old chase for two hours, driving at 160 in a 50 zone at times, and you've got a kilo of crystal meth in the boot with, I don't know, 300k that you can't account for in a sports bag, and you're also off your face, you've been disqualified from driving the cars unregistered, and there's two unrestrained kitties in the back, like you've ticked every frickin' box. This is not one of those I-can-help videos, because nothing can help you, and the thing that should happen is you should go to prison, and therefore society will be safer for the rest of us. It's not that kind of video, is what I'm saying. It's not the Swiss army knife of free jail get-out cards, in other words. I suppose I should start by fessing up and telling you exactly what I did. Driving down the road, completely unremarkably in my own car, not one of those ridiculous high-performance German cars that motoring journalists occasionally get the chance to drive, just motoring down the road, going from A to B on a busy arterial road, light turns red in front of me, and I stop in a wholly compliant way like I've done 50,000 frickin' times in the past. Like, I've been driving in New South Wales and licensed for 42 frickin' years continuously. Never lost my licence, never got to licence hanging by a thread kind of thing, just... I generally comply, you know? So I stop. And the light goes through its sequencing and I'm thinking about this and that. And when the right turn arrows in my direction illuminate to allow traffic to go like this in front of me, I fucked up. Like, epic fuck up. And I've no explanation for it except, you know, Christ knows, it was a senior moment. Or, you know, we're all fallible because we're all human beings kind of thing. And I took that right turn green arrow as permission to proceed forward, which clearly it's not, and I'm shocked, appalled, and ashamed at my conduct. I have no explanation for it, you know? I moved forward about half a car length, and I went, hmm, that's a fuck-up. Realising the gravity of my error, I jammed on the brakes, and the car, I was only doing like 5Ks an hour, so that car came to rest fairly quickly. I, in total, I moved forward about one car length, a little more maybe, I was well out of the path of turning traffic. I was alone, you know, the traffic was moderate. There was no danger of a collision, but my uh, conduct was enough to trigger the red light camera that monitors that intersection. So, yay. I expected that I'd get a message in the mail and I was not disappointed. And so here's the summary of that and what I did, and hopefully it will help you if you find yourself in a similar situation. Now, the first observation I'd make about this kind of offence and committing this kind of offence is that there is a huge regulatory apparatus, like a governmental apparatus, with a lot of momentum behind it that's structurally predisposed to convincing you that the easy option is just to pay the fine and be done with it because there's big red buttons on the website, pay now, right? And they bury, they really bury the ask for leniency, go to court. They make it hard to do anything other 
than pay now. But these options exist, okay? So I'd suggest that it's all about the money as far as the government's concerned. And this is one of the things that has always shat me right off about the way the joint is managed. The motorist is treated like an ATM. Now, I know that every death on the road is a tragedy, and I've been in the operating theatre and seen emergency life-saving cardiothoracic surgery performed on an 18-year-old boy who fucked up at an, inter at an intersection, breached a giveway sign because he did not see a vehicle coming the other way, and the impact nearly cost him his life by ripping a hole in his heart. I've seen his parents fall apart in the emergency department. Dad shaking uncontrollably, trying to sign the emergency surgery consent form, for example, right? And I remember the heroism of the doctors and nurses on the trauma team and in the surgical team, the lengths they went to to save his life and the the perverse kind of life that they lead, waiting for some poor bastard to have the worst day of their lives, just so that they get an opportunity to do their best work. It's a total dichotomy. So I'm unsympathetic generally towards, you know, tr transgressions of the rules. I really am. So on the flip side of all of that, I'd suggest that when you know all the numbers, like in 1970, the worst year on our roads, 3,700-ish people died. And given the dramatic increase in the driving population and the total number of cars on the road and the total number of kilometres driven, road death has dropped to roughly 1,100 a year. So that's not as a result of enforcement. It's as a result of seatbelts and drink driving cultural change in this country. That was a huge thing. And then it's really just incrementally after that, the result of having better civil engineering, like safer roads and safer vehicles, and also, not to downplay this one bit, better medical intervention, life-saving intervention for profoundly injured persons as a result of car crashes. Like liver transplant surgery was pioneered in Australia because we sit on the right side of the car and your liver's here. It's really easy to lacerate your liver in a T-bone accident. And Dr. Russell Strong was uh, a doctor in Brisbane who developed emergency surgery techniques for badly injured people with liver lacerations. And before that, you know, the surgical advice was... The liver's too hard, dude. Just wait and see what happens. That technique, which is used all around the world now to transplant livers, is called the Brisbane technique because it was developed here in Australia, right? So medical intervention, safer roads, safer cars, blah, blah, blah. And yet the government treats the motorist like a cash cow and many infringement fines are just a de facto taxation. At least that's my take on it. They do the minimum required to appear to give you the right of appeal, like you can apply for leniency, but they really, they just want you to cave in and pay because it's all about the money. It's not really about the safety at all at the regulatory fining enforcement coalface. It's really not. And I would say that the first thing you do in New South Wales is you apply for leniency. And once the fine is issued, it goes to another government department called Revenue New South Wales. And they are just complete cocks because you apply for leniency and they just fuck you off. They just say, no, nah, denied. Pay up. Pay now. 
big red button. Or you can take it to court. Or you can take it to court. Like this, right? It's such bullshit. In fact, all the lawyers I've ever spoken to about this will say that they've either never... They'll say, I've been practising law for 20 years and I've seen one successful application for leniency or none or two or something of that nature. But leniency from a government department whose only purpose is to suck in money from the population? Don't expect it. So I applied for leniency and the only reason I did it was in case I got asked in court, why didn't you apply for leniency? I could therefore say, Your Honour, I did. They knocked me back. I got the, I formed the view that it was just a formality sort of thing. So I'd also suggest that you need to ask yourself one critical question up front, which is, are you guilty? And you might not know because you might not know exactly what the threshold of guilt is. And the other thing about guilt is it's not something for you to disprove. In other words, you don't have to prove that you're innocent. The other side has to prove that you're guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. That's how this works. So if they've got photographic evidence, as they did in my case, I was absolutely guilty. But if you're driving along and you're stopped by a police officer and he alleges you've done something, and he may have even seen you do it or think sincerely that he has seen you do it, he might not have any evidence to that effect. So his objective will be to get corroboration from you. Like, he'll want you to make an admission that basically dumps you in it and removes any chance you might have later to plead not guilty. So I would strongly advise you to be respectful at the roadside but not dump yourself in it. Like, don't make admissions, dude. Don't say, when asked, why did you drive through on the orange light? Don't say, oh, because it was safe, because immediately that establishes that you did it and you're guilty because orange means stop. That's how this works, okay? If the cops have got no evidence and you don't admit it, then you can go to court and say, I didn't. You might sincerely have not done this and the cop might sincerely believe you have, but if he can't procure evidence that you've done it, then he hasn't met the threshold of proof and you are therefore not guilty, right? In fact, former Deputy, uh, former Prime Minister, sorry, Paul Keating, he had exactly this happen to him. He was driving along, stopped by the cops. They alleged that he'd driven through a red light. He said, no, I didn't. They issued him with a fine. He took it to court. They said he did. He said he didn't. They could not present any evidence that he'd done it and dismissed because they didn't meet the threshold of proof. And they didn't treat him specially because he was a former PM. He just stood up for himself, which is what you should do. But in my case, I was definitely guilty, okay? So I couldn't rely on any plea of not guilty, there was an orgy of evidence that I had done it because the offence, it's uh, Road Rule 59, bracket 1, 2014, if you want to look it up. If you cross the line after the light has turned red, the, the whole vehicle is across the line after the light's turned red, you don't have to drive through the intersection, you just have to cross the line. I definitely did that, even though I had been waiting there for, according to their camera, 32.6 seconds with the light red in a completely compliant way, even though I moved forward only a short distance. So I was guilty. And you have to appreciate that 
offences occur on a spectrum. So you've got the one offence, which is 59 brackets 1, okay? And that's the same offence if you do what I did or if you drive through at 164 k's an hour in a 50 zone, right? You've still broken that rule. Therefore, offences occur on a spectrum and they're all unacceptable because they're all offences, but some are more unacceptable than others. Some are more serious than others would be a better way of putting it. I'd also suggest that if you try your luck in court, it's not just a free kick. It's not like uh, the fine for this particular offence is like, I think, $468. I remember it being slightly less than 500 and three points. So it's about a quarter of your licence and a bit less than 500 bucks. And it's not like, well, here's the risk and court might make it better. And if it doesn't make it better, oh, it's, it's three points and... 468 bucks. It's not like that at all, because if the magistrate determines that you are actually quite the antisocial cock, he can, uh, or she, can obviously increase the penalty to the maximum, which is like more than two grand, and also disqualify you for some maximum period, according to the legislation. Like, the magistrate is in a box, and the box is constrained by rules, but at the same time, they have a great deal of discretion. And if you go to court and it comes to light that you are a bit of an antisocial cock who deserves worse, that's what you'll probably get. So you would also want to weigh that up. And any way you look at it, there's no foregone conclusions. It's a roll of the dice. And you have to be comfortable with that. Otherwise, pay now. It's easy. So what legislation did I use to walk out in three minutes with no conviction? There's a thing called Section 10 of the Crime Sentencing Procedure Act 1999. And essentially, it's not just for traffic matters, so it's not a piece of traffic-specific legislation. It, get, it gets used all the time for uh, minor drug offences, like you get caught with a spliff in your pocket, right? You're not allowed to walk around with a spliff in your pocket. Dog picks it up, you get searched, they find your spliff, you get charged. That's a bit... It's a marijuana offence, obviously, but it's a bit different to them finding a 40-fucking-foot shipping container of marijuana in your warehouse. Spliff in the pocket, 40-foot shipping container in the warehouse. Totally different universes of marijuana offences, right? Like criminal matters... I guess minor criminal matters are also subject to Section 10. And basically, Section 10 allows the magistrate to consider the totality of the circumstances, whether or not they're trivial, whether or not there are extenuating circumstances. They can look at your age and your character and your conviction history, the nature of the offence, and form a balanced view, including anything else that the magistrate just thinks is relevant in the circumstances. They can form a view about you and what you've done, and they can dismiss your charge based on that. And this is like a, it's a piece of legislation that just balances up the whole ledger and says that some offences are minor and that should be taken into account. And the magistrate can dismiss the whole thing. Now, for a traffic matter, that means no conviction, no fine, no points, right? So it's a bit of a free kick if you get that in its best case scenario. But the worst case scenario is that you front up and you don't get it, magistrate thinks you're an antisocial cock, and 
things get dramatically worse. It costs you much more and you get disqualified for a lengthy period of time. So that's a risk. In the best case scenario, which is Section 10 1A, okay, no fine, no points, no conviction, dismissed, okay? You walk out, no more to pay kind of thing, okay? And there's two alternatives in between the best and the worst case scenario. There's a Section 10 1B, which is basically what you might think of as a good behaviour bond, but they changed the legislation a little while ago and now they call them uh, conditional release orders, which can be for up to two years. So they can dismiss your charge, but they can then put you on a conditional release order, which is effectively a good behaviour bond, for up to two years. And I saw a couple of those happen on the day I was in court. And basically what it means is that they can put you on a bond that says dismissed, but you're on a bond not to commit another traffic offence for 12 months, two years, whatever the magistrate decides. And if you do, you'll be back in court not only for the new offence, but we're going to rehear the current one. And what I've been told by every lawyer I've ever interviewed about things such as this is that courts take the dimmest possible view on people not doing what the court asks them to do. So if the court asks you to be of good behaviour and you fuck up royally, they take that, they take a dimmer view of that than they take of an offence that you've been accused of by a police officer or a camera, for example. So that's a double, it's carrot and a stick, isn't it? You know, case dismissed, but you've got to toe the line for the next 12 months or two years, something of that nature. And then the third option is a section 10.1c, which is dismissal subject to you attending successfully some intervention program. In the case of drugs, it'd probably be some addiction program. And in the case of a traffic offence, it'd be a thing called the Traffic Offenders Program in New South Wales, at least. And all of this is New South Wales specific, but the other states basically function in a similar way. Okay, So I'd furthermore say that everyone who drives a car should go to court on Traffic Offenders Day if you like. It's fascinating because you see such a spectrum of conduct comes to light in court, such a a spectrum of driver behaviour. And I'll give you two examples specific to the day that I spent. I spent half a day in court. I I was released at about one o'clock, so half a day. There was a woman who was, she was quite elderly and she was with her son and her son was older than me. And it came to light when she stood up that She'd been licensed for 70 years. You can't get your license until you're 17. So she must have been at least 87 years old. And she was pinged for a red light offence as well. She drove through a red right turn arrow. And she stood up and made a submission to the court for leniency. And she basically said that she was following the ambulance that was taking her husband, who had become gravely ill at home and it was like life and death he might not survive so she was under a lot of stress and she was driving behind the ambulance and she just clipped the red light on the way around and you know the magistrate looked at it and I got the I formed the view that he was a guy who enjoyed his job he enjoyed one of the things he enjoyed about it was people who are unrepresented by a lawyer he kind of enjoyed confronting them with 
verbal situations where they didn't know where they actually stood. But he was quite gentle with this elderly woman and he said, you must hold the record. And she went, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what the? And he said, the record for length of time you've been licensed in this state with no convictions. It's the first time she'd ever had a fine for anything in 70 freaking years. And he just mentioned that she might get a knock metaphorically on the door from uh, Service New South Wales, the Rhodes mob here, uh, concerning her competency to drive at her age. But he just gave her a section 1A, it's a section 10 1A straight away because of her exemplary record and also the extenuating circumstances, I'm sure, of the very sick husband, blah, 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 were taken into account. At the other end of the spectrum, there was another woman who was substantially younger. She was driving a car while disqualified, and I think, but I, I'm not sure, but I think she was also speeding. She was certainly driving an unregistered car, and she was driving with a mid-range prescribed concentration of alcohol, bordering on high range. So I think it was 0.148 or something. Okay, now, it strikes me that you might not know that your car is unregistered if it's not your car, the car you're driving. That's easy enough to explain, but you can't not know that you're disqualified and you can't not know that you're half-pissed, can you? So her submission to the court verbally was, I'm really, really sorry, it won't happen again. And guess what? She didn't get her Section 10 ruling because there were no grounds for it. And I'd have to say, when you look at the inequity of the infringement process and when you look at the inequity of the appeals for leniency via Revenue New South Wales, and the, the mechanism of fining such a huge volume of people, the place that I can't fault for its fairness, for being just and not not being fair in terms of the person standing before the court, but a just outcome for society was the court. I thought it was a miraculously fair place when you consider society first as opposed to offenders. So that was fascinating to me. Um, so what did I do, okay? I pled guilty up front because, you know... <laughs> Arguing the toss wasn't going to help. And courts tend to view a guilty plea at the earliest opportunity as some form of taking responsibility for your actions. And unlike everybody else that I saw who represented themselves, I made a written submission because, hey, I've got the skill set for that. So basically, my written submission was a summary of the circumstances. It was uh, also spoke to my driving record. It spoke to my commitment to road safety because I did a lot of work in road safety and I had a few good character references there. One from uh, former Deputy Prime Minister John Anderson and one from um, the local member in uh, the New South Wales Legislative Assembly. We did a bunch of young driver safety programs in the local area and I just did and I had one other thing as well it was about um, you know the the speed um, the pursuit policy for the uh, for the federal police I was mentioned in that as being an advocate for better community safety so I didn't want the court to think that I was being uh, I didn't want them to think that I'd done some good over here so I should be allowed to get away with it and I specifically said that 
I, I said that here's evidence that I take road safety seriously. And the final thing I spoke to was uh, the likelihood of reoffending. And I just said there that this is the first time I'd been accused of this offence in 42 years. And I don't really think I've got another 42 years in me. I also took my uh, submission in draft form to a lawyer and I paid for the lawyer. There was no freebie with any of this stuff. She was really good too, Joanna Pasternak from Lamont Law. She was extremely attentive to the submission. She made a couple of great um, suggestions about things that I'd left out, including being alone in the car and uh, no collision taking place things of that nature. And also she told me that it might be a great idea to bring a third copy of my submission to court because it's a good look if you give the Crown a copy as well, like the prosecution, okay? So you show them what you're handing up to the magistrate. So I did those things and she was very helpful about it. And uh, essentially what happened was... I worked fucking hard on that submission too. Like, it took me about a day and a half to get it all together because I had to get the Hansard records of what was said in the Legislative Assembly and I had to dredge up, you know, references from the Deputy PM from 2005 and Jesus Christ. Like, anyway, I found all that crap, put it together, wrote a submission, took about a day and a half. I had to go and see the solicitor and I had to go and see a justice of the peace to execute a stat deck because the car is actually owned by my company and my company had to nominate me as the driver and that has to be done on the stat deck and you've got to find a JP to do that. So it's a bit of a time-consuming process. Anyway, I did all of that. Submission's on its way up. I'm making a brief verbal account to the judge while the paperwork is on its way up and he gets it and he looks at it like this and flicks through it and the Crown prosecutor goes, uh, yes, your worship, it is quite lengthy and he goes, I'm not even going to read that and I go, <laughs> this is either good or bad, isn't it? So I say, um, Perhaps Your Honour would like a brief verbal executive summary. And he went, nah, don't think so. No, I don't want that. He goes, you haven't had a traffic conviction for 33 years. And I go, I didn't think it was quite that long, Your Honour. And he said, well, it's here in front of me in black and white. And I go, I'm not here to argue the toss about that. And the next thing I know, here's your section 10, part 1A, dismiss the full dismissal. Okay, so that was kind of wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And I was blah, 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 like this, walking out of court with the stupid Cheshire cat grin all over my friggin' dial. And part of me was abjectly disappointed that the magistrate didn't consider my submission because I worked fucking hard on that submission. But in the moment, I thought to myself, you know, the golden rule of combat is stop fighting when you win. And there was no better outcome on the table, right? So I'm happy for my whole submission to just Marianas Trench, you know? But it, it struck me that there's a great deal of potential variability in all of this stuff. So I guess to sum it all up and not just talk about me, because as a journal, I freaking hate being part of the story. I'd rather the story was more about the story, right? So... 
in order to flip it and make it a little bit more you relevant, is it worth taking something to court? Okay, and that to me depends on a lot of different things. It really depends on how you define value. Because if you define value just in terms of the money, no, it's not. It cost me about 330 bucks to see my solicitor for an hour. And I think that's pretty good value, actually. I, um, I lost about a day and a half preparing my submission. It cost me at least a day to be there in court. And there's probably another half a day there somewhere. So when you look at the opportunity cost of going to court versus 500 bucks, it's really not worth going. But if your driving record matters to you, and as someone who's reported on road safety a lot, it really matters to me, my driving record, right? And despite being handed the keys to some ridiculously fast cars that are hard to drive at 100, you know, BMW M3 and M5, anything with AMG in it, stuff like that, WRX STIs, and the list goes on endlessly, GT something, Porsche 911s, like they're hard to drive in a compliant way. Anyway, I seem to have managed that in a reasonable way for 33 years that I've been a motoring journalist, and someone driving record mattered to me. So that was one imperative to go, and I don't think cockhead politicians and the state bureaucracies that they operate should be allowed to be treating motorists like an ATM. I really hate that. And this is a way of at least saying, going to court is a way of at least saying, I don't think a fine is appropriate in the circumstances, right? And talking to you about this now is a way of amplifying that message to a broader audience and also to suggest to you that in some circumstances, it might be a good idea for you to go to court for the same kind of reason. In, in other words, it's, it's a good way of telling society respectfully that you're not going to cop it when you think it's just about the money in the totality of the circumstances. Not so much the case when you drove through the red light at 164 in a 50 zone, dude. Like, you should be behind bars if you do that, in my view. And on this issue of should you go to court, so is it worth it depends on how you define value, and it also depends on the granular detail of what you did, right? Should you go to court, talk to a lawyer. Because I've interviewed numerous lawyers, probably half a dozen lawyers over the years on exactly this issue. So I knew a lot of the issue and it had been de facto free advice in a sense that I never used. And even so, when I prepared my submission and I took it to my lawyer, Joanna, she gave me three really good pieces of actionable advice that I had omitted from my draft. So talk to a lawyer, dude. It's really important. And when to go to court, that's the final thing to consider, right? If you're in this position, go to court before your license is hanging by a thread. So go to court when your record is squeaky clean. See, if you get pinged the way I got pinged, and it's like 500 bucks and three points, and you haven't had a fine for 30 years or 10 years or 20 years, whatever it is, if you go, oh, fuck, it's too hard, I'll just pay. And then 18 months later, the same thing happens. And then all of a sudden, you've got six points on your license. 
And three months later, at Christmas, double demerits. You don't, you're in a funny, strange city, for example, and you don't see the speed change from 80 to 60. And you keep powering on at 80. And you think you're in a fully compliant 80, doing it just two thumbs up. You're actually 20 k's over. If you do that, all of a sudden your license is hanging by a thread. And if you go, oh, fuck, I'd better take that one to court. If you do that, they look at your record and they go, no, you've been pinged these other two times. In just a couple of years, what's happened lately? Your driving's turned to shit. You can't rely on good driving record. It's not going to help. And the single biggest determinant in my outcome was good driving record. It had nothing to do with any of this other crap, right? <laughs> Great submission, dude. Didn't even... Not even interested, okay? So before your licence is hanging by a thread. That's the time to roll this dice, in my view at least. And when to go to court is if the principle matters more to you than the money. Because I really do hate the way that the regulators take all the credit for every advance that, that we've ever seen in road safety. That's down to how hard we are on transgression. Enforcement is certainly part of the protocol, right? It's part of the mechanism we need. But the overwhelming improvement to road safety has been in medicine and civil engineering and safer vehicles. That's just what it is. Enforcement is trivial in the context of road safety because people who've been disqualified from driving for 10 years... They get in their car and they drive all the time. They're the most dangerous drivers on our roads. Nothing can effectively be done to get them off the road. They don't go to prison unless they kill someone. It's a disgrace. And the other thing is, if you are that card-carrying cock doing 164 in a 50 zone straight through a red light, you get a speeding fine and a red light infringement fine a week later in the mail. It doesn't stop you. I mean, at least a highway patrol car stops you, right? They pursue you and stop you if you're doing something stupid like that. But a camera doesn't do that. So its benefit to road safety, in my view, is trivial. And if you wanted to do, to make a statement respectfully within the confines of what's allowed, then going to court for these trivial uh, matters in the circumstances is an excellent way to tell the regulatory apparatus that you're not just going to cop on the chin being treated like an ATM by the regulatory authorities. But I'd have to say, out of all of the process that I observed, the cockheadery of Revenue New South Wales and the... Uh, the staggering array of cameras that are deployed against motorists and the way the messaging is mismanaged and people getting the wrong idea about how to make their own driving safer, all of that stuff. The fairest place that I've ever seen in operation and also entertaining for so many other reasons was the courthouse. And if you've never done it, dude, go to court on traffic day. You'll never think about driving the same again.